Ephemeral is a production of iHeartRadio. Here's a song that Ray Anthony played many years ago. See if you can remember the tune. Just name that tune. Aloha. The following is my interview with steel guitar ambassador, teacher, performer, and legend, Alan Akaka. Anybody know? Portions of this interview appeared in our episode titled Kikakila, which, if you haven't heard yet, will give more context on the Hawaiian Islands and the lone stringed instrument that originated there. Hint, it's not the ukulele, but more on that later. Nat King Cole also recorded it. Alan's abilities are virtuosic. He can play any instrument in the band, and his office at the Keikula Mele School on Oahu is crammed full of them. But the steel guitar is his passion. It's a craft he spent a lifetime mastering. By ear, he'll retune in the middle of a song. When I asked him about older styles of playing, he approximated the sound by swapping his steel bar out for a nut razor to slide on the strings. Re-listening to our interview, one of the things that stands out to me is how similar his musical origins are to Joseph K. Cuckoo, inventor of the steel guitar. Both began as children, experimentally running objects up and down guitar strings. You hear Alan drop a lot of names here, and that's because, from the time he was a teenager onward, he studied and played with everyone, contemporary masters of the instrument, legends from decades before him, and artists who were rethinking steel guitar style during the Hawaiian Renaissance of the 1970s. As it proliferated in other genres, most notably country, the steel guitar became dissociated with Hawaii and fell out of the popular imagination. The instrument and its practitioners became an endangered species. Alan is the central figure in bringing Kikakila back to prominence, and it's working. All across the world now, steel guitar enthusiasm and musicianship are on the rise. At his school, Kekulamele, Alan trains the next generation of Hawaiian musicians, and he teaches lessons in all corners of the world via Skype. Mr. Akaka is full of amazing stories, but the most poignant are his experiences working with kids, teaching them about the Hawaii they live in, tying them into traditions that very well could have been lost if he and the steel guitar had not found each other. Without further ado, here's my interview with Alan Akaka, and his steel guitar. 
My name is Alan Akaka. I'm the director and owner of a school of Hawaiian music called Kekula Mele. And it's located on the island of Oahu in Kailua town. I've been the teacher for more than 30 years. I taught concert band, marching band. I started a choir at another school that I um, worked at. And um, also a, a Hawaiian ensemble since uh, that middle school didn't have any of that. And I understand, even though I'm no longer at the school, that the program still continues, which is very good to know. I'm very happy with that. Um, I've been playing music ever since I was in elementary school, at least learning how to play the ukulele. I, I taught myself how to play that, along with uh, all the other instruments I know, the, the upright bass, the guitar, and uh, my number one love, the Hawaiian steel guitar. Oh, and I taught myself to play the piano and so on. But since since I was into music, I could read music and so on. I could say, you know, I, I could play a number of instruments, plus I could teach it as a band director. So um, that's pretty much my life. Steel guitar started when I was going into high school. So like from eighth grade to ninth grade around there and uh, the story is that uh, this is back in the Renaissance, the new Renaissance period for Hawaiian culture and music, and that would be in the mid, uh, in, in the 70s, early 70s. And, and so um, my brother started learning how to play the slacky guitar. He was teaching himself. And so I wanted to play another instrument. At the time, I, you know, I, I could play the clarinet. You know, I took beginning band and intermediate band uh, in middle school. And then, um, so as, as he was in the living room playing, you know, practicing uh, his slack key guitar technique, I grabbed my, my father's Martin guitar. I laid on my lap and I grabbed the barrel of the clarinet. I used that as, that as a bar and I started sliding across the strings and I was really fascinated with that sound. And for some reason, you know, I, I did that. Why? I thought about it later, and I, I, I understood why. But anyway, my, my father came up to me and asked if I knew what, what I was playing. I, I just said, oh, slide guitar. He says, it's called the steel guitar. I said, really? So he encouraged me to go on. My father, by the way, at the time was uh, the director of music at our church, Kwaiha'o Church, which is uh, the mother of Hawaiian churches. Anyway, he had a large choir, like a you know, hundred voices. Uh, it was a it was a very good choir too. So so anyway, um, he says, yeah, you know, you should practice, learn how to play this instrument. So I did. I took it to heart, and because I could read music, I put out a book, a, a Hawaiian song book, and started flipping through the pages and I thought, oh, this one looks interesting. So I started figuring it out on a, on a uh, slack key tuning. You know, I, I didn't know the tuning, but you know, I just kind of figured out the notes, reading the music and so on. And that first song, and I tell a lot of people, uh, was written by R. Alex Anderson, who wrote Mele Kalikimaka and Lovely Hula Hands. But this song was White Ginger Blossoms. And, and there was something about it, and I'll play you a little bit of it.
last part of the song, White Ginger Blossoms. Of course, it didn't sound like that way back then. So anyway, I, 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 um, I would listen to recordings. I'll try to copy. The one that was the easiest one for me to learn was by a still guitarist named David Feet Rogers. He was in a group called the Sons of Hawaii. And at that time, uh, the Five Faces album by the Sons of Hawaii, or what many of us call the Red album because of the cover, was released. And it was quite popular with, with uh, the young musicians. It was a new sound. It wasn't like the older traditional groups. It was different, but they were all traditional songs. But it was something about the steel guitar. It, it, it was such a simple style. I could pick up on it a, a lot quicker. And the good thing about that is because my brother and his friends would would uh, practice in our living room and they were practicing those uh, the songs off of that album. And so I could sit in the back um, and I could, you know, practice, you know, pl plugging into, you know, one of those stereo systems, you know, could plug in and, and I could play softly so I could hear myself. And I didn't know they could hear me, you know. In fact, I was wearing a headset because I thought, oh, okay, if I plug in, they won't hear me. But they did. They could hear what I was doing. Just so everybody knows, two of my brother's classmates who would come over, the bass player is Aaron Mahi, who later became the longest-serving bandmaster for the Royal Hawaiian Band. And he was an associate conductor or assistant conductor for the Honolulu Symphony. And the other uh, classmate was Dennis Kamakahi, who wrote many songs that are considered classics today. He's passed on, but his music still goes on, and many people, many people play his songs. I was actually with these people. You know, I could play along with them and, and so on. So, so it's like, wow, I, I, I played with these legends. And my brother, yeah, I would consider him about a legend too because uh, he's in great demand as um, not not necessarily for music, although he plays a lot of music uh, where he's at at the Maunalani, but because he's a kahu, and a kahu is like a minister, a priest, and uh, his services are requested all over the world, including by the Disneys. So he's flown to the mainland. He's flown to um, to the, to Asia, to Japan, to China, to Korea, um, all over the place. In fact, he's in San Francisco right now. He um, he just arrived there last night to do a blessing. He does blessings all over Hawaiian blessings. Anyway, that was quite a group, you know. Aaron Mahi, Dennis Kamakahi, my brother, Daniel Okaka Jr. I went on with steel guitar. I, I practiced. Um, I remember um, there was a member of the church who said, hey, you're, you're playing steel guitar here. I'll let you borrow mine. I went, wow, a real steel guitar, not just a Martin. Um, so so he, he showed me a few things. So I practiced and so on. And I would go to the music shop uh, down at uh, our main shopping center, Alamoana. And the music store at that time had uh, a number of LPs that anybody could pick up. They were already opened, and we could go into the carol and, and listen to it. If we liked it, I guess we could purchase it. I would go there just to listen, and I would pull a, uh, an album out, listen to it, 
then put it back next one what i was seeking was was really you know different still guitar styles and and players and the people knew me there you know um one of the the women there uh, i would call her auntie i saw her saw her all the time the owner of the shop um a nice man also a uh, recording producer um he would say hi along the way and so on but you know, um, I, I, I learned a lot of steel guitar just by listening to those albums in uh, what was called the House of Music, right in the center of the, of the shopping center. When I was in high school, um, I, I was um, an independent student for another, what should I call her? I, I would call her a legend. Her name was Winona Beamer. She collected Hawaiian music and so on, so I was studying under her. So it was in her office where I could collect, like, three folders of music, Hawaiian music, three, three like two inch folders filled with Hawaiian music. And then one day I was sitting at her desk and I saw this book by Jerry Bird. I didn't know who Jerry was yet. Um, and, and so I flipped through it and there was music and I went, oh my gosh, his diagram system for steel guitar is a lot easier to read than all these Mel Bay books that, that I purchased. And um, the only Hawaiian song in the Mel Bay books was Aloha Oi. <laughs> you know, otherwise there, there were all these other tunes that, um, you know, I didn't relate to. And so in Jerry's, he, he had a lot of Hawaiian tunes. And so, you know, I, she let me borrow the book forever. And um, I took it home, I went on my steel guitar, um, and started, you know, reading through his music, and I couldn't believe that I could play more, you know, um, and 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 actually sound so much better just by reading that music. I learned so much from that book. And then when I got to meet Jerry finally, I was so excited. Later on, you know, I was approached by a member of the Hawaiian Music Foundation, and he asked if I wanted to take private lessons with somebody. And I said, sure. Especially when he mentioned the name Pua Almeida, Pua Almeida, and uh, he was a famous musician. He was on Hawaii Calls. Uh, he was a great musician, and so I waited. And unfortunately, since he was in such demand, he was too busy to even get me started. And 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 then he passed. Um, he had a heart attack. He passed, and so I never had a chance to. To sit down with him, I've heard him live, and uh, on the steel guitar, he was he was an animal. Oh my gosh, I was uh, I was hoping to study with him, and so months passed by, and I was approached again if I wanted to study with another person who who just moved to Honolulu, and that person was Jerry Bird, and so I said sure. By then, I knew who Jerry Bird was because I had. To, I listened to his Bird of Paradise LP. And then my uncle, who was a vice president of the Musicians Union, had mentioned to me, he says, yeah, I, you know, Jerry Bird came in with his steel guitar and he could play two voices at the same time. And I'm going, wow, gee, who is Jerry Bird? And so anyway, everything was set up and I met Jerry for the first time in the Hawaii Calls office of all places because I was such a big fan of Hawaii Calls, still am. So he sat me down, he says, play me something. 
I was holding the skinny bar and I was playing the steel guitar. At the end of the song, he says, give me that bar. So I handed it to him reluctantly, of course. And then he unwrapped this brand new bar. This brand new bar. It was wider and it was to his specs. He says, here, I'm going to show you how to hold this now. And, and, and that was the start of um, my lessons with, with Jerry. And, and he was an, an incredible teacher. He taught me, you know, a lot of things. Technique, musicality, which to me is the most important. How to play musically rather than playing notes. This is about when I was graduating, yeah. And the year after that, I believe. I had lessons for two summers which seems kind of short. I wish I could have taken more lessons, but my scholarship, I guess, had run out by then. But I started uh, going out there and playing with others. And sometimes I played steel guitar, sometimes I played the upright bass. And lucky I knew how to play upright bass because I had the opportunity to play with many other legends and even travel with them. One of them was Billy Hulan. Interesting thing about Billy Hulen, he only had one hand. His left hand was severed in a shop accident in high school. You know, he was a, an aspiring musician. I mean, he came from a musical family. But luckily, somebody was able to develop a, a glove uh, going over his wrist that had a bar attached to it. And so so Billy, Billy practiced and so on and... Uh, he became a monster on the steel guitar. I mean, I would play bass and I would be watching him. And he was incredible. He was, he was a tiny guy, but he was just a fantastic musician. I mean, when it came to singing parts, he could choose to go above or below the melody. I mean, he was, well, so could his brother. But on the steel guitar, he was just, he had all these ideas. He liked to play swing and jazz you know, and uh, incorporated into Hawaiian music. And I, I love that the best. But, you know, he was, he, was a, he was a real perky guy. The first one to wake up, the last one to go to bed. I, but I, I noticed he popped a lot of vitamin E too. He had so much energy on the stage. He taught me a few things other than me just observing him. But, you know, like uh, when it came to singing songs, especially if there was a trio, every voice counted, you know, he says, sing. And he said, I don't know the words. He said, follow my lips. And I always remember that, you know, because I tell my, my students that, you know, if they're on the stage and I tell them, follow my lips. You know, he, he didn't go to music school or anything. Everything was, you know, learned in, in, in the back alley at home someplace. But uh, he, he, yeah, he truly is a legend. Uh, and, and then, you know, he has a grandson, Casey Olsen who also is <laughs> quite a monster on the steel guitar. I mean, he's really good. Um, so, so Billy left a legacy, you know, through his grandson. His son-in-law is also a great guitarist and singer. Billy also, you know, when it came to um, rhythm, he was a stickler for rhythm. So on those occasions when I had to play the guitar, he, he would say, no, 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 like this. <laughs> you know, he couldn't play it himself, but he he showed me what he wanted. I would go to the nightclub where he played 
down in Waikiki. It was called the Blue Dolphin Room. And he played with other legends. And really, I do mean legends, um, recording artists and so on. You know, even though I was underage, you know, you know, I, I tried to go wherever there was a steel guitar. He would take his break, his break, not the musician's break. He would say, hey, come play steel guitar. So he let me play his steel guitar while he was drinking, you know, uh, at the bar and so on. By the way, he wasn't the only one that did that to me. There were others. <laughs> they would take a break. Sometimes it's, you know, one or two songs, and then it would later on it would last the whole set <laughs> while they're drinking. <laughs> yeah, um, in those days, the musicians drank a lot. Things have changed. Times have changed. A lot of musicians don't drink nearly, nearly half as much as what those old-timers used to. So Billy would normally play uh, a, a six-string fry pan by Rickenbacker at gigs. But at that Blue Dolphin nightclub, he had a, a Fender 400, which is a single-neck, eight-string pedal steel guitar with, I think, four uh, foot pedals. And so that was my chance to figure out, you know, how to get chords on that pedal steel guitar. I just loved it. Uh, you know, just that opportunity to, to, to play on the pedal steel guitar and to play on Billy Hillen's steel guitar. And then um, I remember going out to to a, a spot on, uh, right along Kalakaua Avenue, the main drag through Waikiki. And uh, there was a singer, Eddie Kikaola, who was selling his LPs right on the street and doing very good, in fact, brisk business because he was the only one on the street in those days. And he had his mic set up and everything and two backup musicians, a guitarist and a steel guitarist. The steel guitarist was David Kelly, who um, had returned home. He, he was living in Vegas prior to that, but he was uh, a renowned steel guitarist and revered by many, including some of the... Um, famous pedal steel guitar players from country music. I mean, they told me they used to listen to David Kelly when they were learning steel guitar. So David Kelly wasn't young, but I, I would listen to him. And I, I remember um, standing and watching him and he was playing and then I would see him turning his keys. By the end of the song, he was in a different tuning. So I learned that from David. So I do that myself because it can be done, I, I mean, just by, Watching him, I, I knew it could be done. And then, you know, when talking to him, um, his advice that uh, I'll always remember, he said, see your hands, keep them in your pocket. They're gold, protect them. So all, 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 these, all these artists, these legends had, you know, a, a little tip for me that, that I share with my students. You know, going back to David Feet Rogers, whenever I could, I, I, I would go out and watch him. I remember um, he, he played an instrumental um, between verses of a song. And so later I asked him, do you play the same one or does it change, you know, from day to day or gig to gig? And uh, he says, play from your heart. I mean, he was, he was, a, he was a simple man, tall, six feet something. Um, had one glass eye. You d I didn't know which one to look at, you know, when I was talking to him. And 
kind of intimidating looking. You know, you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. You know, he looked scary. But when he played, oh my gosh, it was like, it was like sweetness. We have a Hawaiian word for that. It's nahe, nahe, soft and sweet. And so he said, play from your heart. You know, I understand what he meant by that. But I tell my students, you know, the steel guitar, you know, when you're playing, it's a feel thing. Same idea, play from your heart. It's a feel thing. Whatever you do, you learn my tab. When you got it down pretty well, then close the book. And to play it, you don't have to play every single note I wrote. Just feel your way through it. It's a feel thing. David Feet Rogers was actually my first teacher off of his LP. And I followed him through the years and, 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 and so on. I, I just loved his playing. And every now and then, depending on the style of Hawaiian music, I'll kick into his style, whatever fits that style. And his works, especially with the more contemporary Hawaiian music, because it's so simple, it, it fits right between the cracks, musically. He was incredible. I mean, you know, he played only a six string, not an eight string, not a double neck, not a triple neck, just a six string steel guitar. And it wasn't even um, a seven tuning or a minor tuning or anything. It was a straight D tuning, D major. That was enough. That was enough. His uncle, Benny Rogers, was also an influence on me. Benny Rogers um, played with Genoa Keave, who many years later I played with since the 80s, until she passed away almost 10 years, more than 10 years ago. Well, his steel guitar is on many of her albums, and so I would listen to it. I'll try to copy. So, so uh, unlike Feet Rogers, Benny's style was a little busier, but but it still had that Rogers flavor in there. And so so I studied that and everything. I got to the point where if I was listening to the radio and I heard uh, a, a, a turnaround or still guitar vamp, I knew exactly what song it was. You know, I just knew. I studied his style a lot. So when I started playing with the Auntie Genoa, I kicked into that Benny Rogers style. I retuned one of my steel guitars and I played that along with her. Along the way too, before I ended up being her steel guitarist, I would go over to a nightclub called the Aloha Grill. It was right in downtown. And so um, she would play there on the weekend. So I would go there. I, again, I, I think I was underage. But I would go there and then uh, she would call me up. The steel guitarist would step down. He had a triple neck. I said, oh my gosh, this is my opportunity to try out his tunings. So I did. So, you know, in the beginning, it was two songs. As time went by, I would be up there the whole set. And I would be playing with uh, Genoa Chiave, anti Genoa Chiave. Oh, by the way, that, that picture behind my upright bass, that's her. Anti Genoa's great-granddaughter, by the way, is... Uh, one of my star students, she's, what, a sophomore in high school. And uh, she has quite a voice. And she's a demon on the steel guitar. Whatever I teach her, she soaks up and she starts using some of those ideas. I mean, it's, 
you know, I just watch her. She just keeps on going in. I rarely hear her play a wrong note. You know, she's going all over the steel guitar and then going, whoa, a sophomore. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, she was playing my steel guitar when she could hardly reach it. You know, she, that was seven years ago. I got up on the stage. She couldn't, her feet didn't even reach the floor with the steel guitar in her lap. And she, she played a song. She sang it and she played a solo. I mean, she was in elementary school. Man, it, so, you know, yeah, she's incredible. Her name is Molly Lyman. I bring her to uh, my steel guitar festivals whenever she's available. Oh, and an and adult, you know, a chaperone, either her mother or her grandparents or somebody. Could you give me, like, as if I had never heard or seen a steel guitar before, what is it? What makes a steel guitar what it is? What makes it different from a guitar is that, number one, you, you play it horizontally, normally on your lap, unless it has legs or a stand. Then the nut is raised so that the strings are not so close to the fretboard. It has to be that way because we use a metal bar to slide across the strings. If uh, we use a standard guitar, we'll bump into the raised frets. In the case of the steel guitar, with the raised nut, um, I could just glide. Unobstructed. Of course, in the early days, it, it was a wooden guitar, acoustic. And I'm talking about the turn of the century, 20th century. Later on, National came out with the tricone. Dobro, of course, came out with theirs. Uh, there was a Weizenbarn company that came out with their wooden guitars that acoustically uh, produced more sound than some of the other guitars. The Dobro and the National, with their cones, you know, uh, it amplified the sound to a degree. So, you know, it could be heard more. Later on, you know, in the 30s, uh, the electric amplifier was uh, developed and then the electric guitar. And the first electric guitar was a steel guitar. A big difference was one, amplification, two, sustain. When I play on my acoustic, I got to pick more. There were certain things that uh, the acoustic players did besides picking more, but they would do rows like this. They would just pick more, you know, things like that. Still guitars today, you know, you don't have to pick as much. You can make, make each note sing more since the sustain is so much better. One huge difference with the steel guitar is the different sounds you can get out of it, especially the glissandos. No instrument can do a glissando like a steel guitar. Maybe if you get a, a, a pinky slide on the guitar, you, you can play a card and you can slide, but I, I tell you, it's not the same. The tone is not the same. Hopefully, if you're doing a one octave slide, you'll reach the octave before the volume fades away, yeah. On the electric steel guitars, the sound doesn't decay so quickly, yeah. Well, it depends on the pickup, right? Or maybe the player. <laughs> what are some of the, the different styles of steel guitar music? Well, you have bluegrass, you have country, you have Indian classical, you have Japanese, you name it. Getting to Hawaiian, 
There are different styles and it's regional, believe it or not. You go to Europe, uh, I find that many of them love, love to um, use the reverb. I mean, it's really wet. <laughs> a lot of reverb and they go, mm, too much, I'm drowning. And yet, you know, when you listen to some of the older Hawaiian recordings, you know, like the 78s and so on, if somebody's playing an electric steel, uh, those amplifiers didn't have reverb. And, and uh, maybe the highs. So, you know, you have this, this nice, you, you know, thick, robust, dark, um, full-bodied uh, sound coming out of a steel guitar. Versus nowadays, you know, with the amplifiers, you know, you can raise the highs up as, you know, pretty, pretty high uh, and, and so on, you know, the mids as well. And, but, you know, I, I like the darker tone. So anyway, um, getting back to styles, then, you know, there's a different sub styles of the Hawaiian music genre. There's the more traditional and the more traditional, again, you know, that dark, uh, that full bodied, rich sounding. And then you get into um, more of the more contemporary. I'm talking after the '70s, yeah, the, uh, where where the Hawaiian music was influenced by another genre from the mainland. Okay, from the mainland, Hawaiian music was always influenced by what was going on in the mainland. From the missionaries bringing over their New England books from the hymnals to Henry Berger bringing music from Germany. He was from outside of Berlin. So bringing that style to the islands and the Hawaiian royalty studying under him. So there was that. And then, you know, at the turn of the century into the 1900s, you know, then, then you have um, that style of music coming in from the mainland. Plus some of the composers actually studied, you know, in the mainland and then they came home. And then later on, you know, there was swing, you know, from big band to so on. I, I love to play swing. I mean, you know, Hawaii calls was my thing. So I, I played more that style. And then, you know, there, there were the other groups like Genoa Keave and so on. Then later, when things started to change, you know, around the 70s, the Renaissance, and that was, you know, the Haight-Ashbury days too, you know, Vietnam War. So... Things were changing in, in America. So was the style of music. And uh, I could hear it in the islands here. Some, some recordings that are considered classics today, they're from that era. In those days, I, you know, I, I didn't want to listen to them. I couldn't relate to them. They were not the traditional Hawaiian music that I grew up with and loved. Uh, but today, I listen to it. I, I know the people who sang it, you know. Um, they're all friends and so on, and and it's like oh beautiful, you know, and and, and yet to, uh, now you know in in um, in twenty twenty there's more music being written, but the style is is very different from the forties and fifties. The style, you know, the strumming of the guitar, the use of the ukulele, just you know, even the melody of the songs, or even even the the lyrics in Hawaiian, is different from before. So when it comes to the steel guitar, like I said, it's a feel thing. It's like, okay, you want to make sure that you enhance the music. So you make it, whatever you do, you make it fit. Are you going to do something like this? That might not fit, but if I do this, just a simple try at a, an arpeggio, that might fit better. 
And, and, and the reason for that is because now um, some of the rhythm instruments are, 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 are busier. They're, they're playing some of their own licks rhythmically. Unlike before where the rhythm players just played rhythm. Nowadays it's like they're doing that, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Or maybe the ukulele player is picking in the background or whatever it is, you know, it, it, different times. And so with the steel guitar, you know, scaling back is, is a good idea. Again, for, for a musician, an artist, it's, it's, it's fitting in. Yeah. Not, not, not just squeezing in, but fitting in. When you get a new student, what are some of the basics that you show them? Like, what are the things you, you need to learn this first and then this? And The first thing is the bar, the left hand. You got to learn how to hold the bar between your thumb and your middle finger. Then pinch it or squeeze it. What Jerry Bird would say, pinch it. Then flip the bar over, place it on the, place it on the, uh, the strings. And, and, uh, and hold it down and make sure that the, the bar is even with the frets. Now, oh, here's another difference between the guitar and the steel guitar. We place the bar over the line, not between the lines, over the line. Uh, and then when you're sliding the bar, yeah, keep the bar even. You can hear that. Keep it even with the frets. And then when you're exercising, going from one fret to the other, make sure you stop right there, right over the fret. Second, right hand. Eventually I get into this, but one of the most important things is palm muting. Because uh, if you don't palm mute, you're going to get what I call ghost notes, for example. Got all those ghost notes in there. You, you don't want them. Harmonically, they don't fit. But if I palm mute correctly, that melody line will come out. Big difference, huh? So the right and left hand technique, very, very, very important. Uh, I, I, I know that there are other styles of technique uh, from other players. And, you know, it works for them. But Jerry Bird taught me this system, and this is a system I use today. And it works very well. So that, you know, you know people, when they're playing, they're playing music and not, not you know, well. <laughs> well, yeah, unsavory stuff. So technique, hand technique is very important. Next thing is they, gotta, they have to learn how to read the tablature. Even if they never uh, studied music before, tablature is quite easy to understand because it's a system where, you know, in the staff, um, there are lines that represent every string on the steel guitar. I normally go with six lines because I teach six string steel guitar. If somebody has eight strings, well, they can forget about the bottom two uh, for now. On the staff, there are numbers, and the numbers represent the frets. So if um, I say, okay, uh, in the music that is, okay, put your bar on string three, fret three. 
Okay, now slide up to fret 5 and pick on string 1. Same string, fret 3. Same string, fret 6. By the way, that's an opening line for Beyond the Reef, a classic tune. Can you give me the next little bit of Beyond the oh, Reef? Oh, I'll play here. So that's the first verse. <laughs> that is that one of those songs that if you're a steel guitar player, you just have to know it. Well, it would be good to know it, but it's one of the one of the first songs I teach because uh, with that one we can work on what I call the pata. The pata is when you're going from one string to another string on two different frets. If I don't do the pata, it's going to sound like this. You remember I mentioned ghost notes. But if I do a pata, which is pick, slide the bar to your target fret, then mute. Or if I do it in tempo. The important thing is having that slide between the two notes. It's like when people sing, uh, you know, the great singers, their notes are all connected. We have to do the same thing with this voice this, on the steel guitar. Is it the sound that drew you to the instrument in the first place, Alan? The sound did draw me there. You know, growing up, uh, I, I would go to functions, you know, parties uh, with my parents. You know, luau's, yeah, the Hawaiian feast. There would be the, you know, the baby, baby luau. There would be whatever, you know, wedding and so on, birthday party. You know, being a child, you know, I didn't really focus on the music, but it was there. It was in the air. It was, you know, ringing through, throughout the hall. And so I, I remember hearing, you know, this. Hearing all of that. And, and I wish I, you know, today, yeah, I wish I had paid attention. But, you know, as a kid, you know, there are other things going on, including, you know, f the food and, and playing with others, you know. You know, music is... is was not on my mind. 
But anyway, hearing uh, also, you know, recordings, my parents would play, you know, their LPs at home. Or, you know, in the car, my dad would switch on the radio to the Hawaiian station. We didn't have very many stations, but the, the Hawaiian station. And so I would hear that. And in those days, uh, almost all the recordings had steel guitar on them compared to today, where you hardly hear steel guitar. I sort of uh, absorbed all, all of this and learned through osmosis. So when I, when I first started playing, you know, the slide guitar, as I called it, um, you know, it's like, wow, I recognize this sound. So I started sliding all over the place. And, you know, then my father, you know, approached me and said, yeah, you're playing the steel guitar. You know, and it was at that point, you know, um, I said, wow, you know, I'm so intrigued by this. I, you know, I just want to learn this, you know. And so, so you, you, you know, you could tell uh, those who, who do really well, they, they seem to have this, this passion from within, this passion, this drive, and I had it, the passion and drive. I mean, to the point where I would go down to the shopping center by myself. For hours, I would listen to LPs, um, just picking up on whatever I could, or going to the state library and borrowing some LPs and going home and sticking them on the the record player, you know, the old silver tone record player, <laughs> silver tone by Sears. A a anyway, so and 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 just listening to it. At times, I would even just to slow it down, so I I I could you know catch that 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 riff or that fill. I would place my hand on on on, on the record somewhere on the label and, and I would just slow it down so I could pick it up and I would do it several times. Yeah, um, as Jerry Bird told me with uh, in his days of uh, listening to 78s, you know, I done wore out the grooves. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I kept on picking up the needle and putting it down, picking up the needle, putting it down and so on. Or I would even, um, I remember I had a cassette player. I would call at the radio station. In those days, you know, you could call and request. And I would say, could you play this song? Because I, I couldn't find that song in, in, in the music store. So I, I knew the radio station had it. So I would be ready to hit the record button on my player. Um, so the announcer would, you know, DJ would come on and says, oh, here's one for Alan Akaka. It's uh, Milo Lee or it's Hawaiian Cowboy. It's whatever. And then, or it's Hey Ono. And then I would press that record button get the whole song, and then um, at the end, I would play it back and try to pick up, you know, try to learn some of those, uh, some of those notes, of, you know, the solo or, or even fills, you know, and, and you know, I was so engrossed in, in, in all of that, you know, just learning how to play the steel guitar. And then uh, I was very lucky to be at the end of, end of an era where I could play with so many different steel guitars, so many. Um, I remember Merle Kekuku, who is a grandnephew of the originator of the steel guitar, told me, he says, learn one tuning well. Learn one tuning well. So I always remember that. So, yeah, I have my one tuning, and I can play a number of other tunings. So, um, yeah, all these little tips and tricks from all of these people you know, help to groom me.
Is it a C6 tuning or? Uh, it, it didn't matter. Uh, he says learn one tuning. I was using a C6. Actually, that night when he, he told me that, I was playing the steel guitar and I thought, oh, I'm going to try different tuning. Of course, you know, I'm still learning how to play, yeah. And uh, these were, yeah, all old timers and they knew so many old songs. And so uh, they told me to, to take an instrumental, you know, in between the verses. And I was screwing up because I didn't know the tuning so well. Um, and that's when he took me to the site and learned one tuning well. Because he was a still guitarist himself. Um, and and uh, he played a totally different tuning, yeah. So, um, so uh, you, you know, he had learned that tuning really well because he would talk to me about the tuning and I went, wow, yeah, this is really different, um, and, and so on. So um, I, I took that to heart. But then, you know, I didn't let it stop me from learning other tunings. So I, I, I could do a show, and I could do three or four different tunings in the show, So which, which would mean, since I'm using a single neck steel guitar, I would be retuning my steel guitar in a few seconds, I'd be in a different tuning. Um, you know, I, that's my thing. Yeah, because, you know, um, I find that uh, there are certain songs where uh, a certain tuning would sound great. I'll give you an example. Here's a song called Hanalei Moon. And um, I'm going to play it on the C6 tuning. Then I'm going to try it in the D ninth tuning and see if you can hear a difference. Okay. Hanalei Moon, written by Robert Nelson, Robert Bob Nelson. I'm gonna change it. Okay, D9. So there's a, a ninth card right right there at that spot. 
that's a big difference, yeah. Back to C6. You, you know, when I write tabs out, I'll, I'll write it in C6. And then along the way, I'll go, wait a minute. Hmm. What if I, what if I uh, change it to this tuning? It normally works out. I said, wow, I could do it in this tuning instead. Pedal steel guitars do it all the time, right? They step on pedals, they can change the tuning. For a wine steel guitar, we normally stick to one tuning. Play the whole song in that tuning. So that's a big difference from that genre and our genre. Or I should say for steel guitar. A big difference uh, with Hawaiian music too is, you know, those glissandos, yeah. Um, again. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, people come up to me at my gigs or, or at the festivals and they say, or even at, in emails or, or, or texts, you know, you know, I just saw one where, where somebody says, you know, I, I was so bummed, you know, I was in Hawaii and I found only one still guitarist and he wasn't so good, you know, uh, and, and then the reply from another person was, well, he had mentioned me, he says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm developing the next generation uh, and, and so on. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of really fine still guitars in Hawaii, many. Bobby Ngano, Greg Sardina, Casey Olsen, Jeff Ahoy, a young one that's been playing about two years, and, and he's incredible for somebody who's been playing for two years. Uh, uh, Capono Lopes. In fact, I take him to my festivals because not only can he play the steel guitar quite well, but he has an angelic voice. It's like, wow. And then I have my kids, Malia Lyman, Ethan Gore, he, Joey, Misailidis, Pono Fernandez. I have Ho Ailona Mahuka. She's in elementary school. Yeah, I have some elementary school students too, but all of my next gen are all in school. Because of, I guess, you know, the, 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 the moment that you were born and sort of like the musical tradition that you were born into, you were kind of in this special place to be a link from the past of steel guitar through the Renaissance and to the present. When you're teaching these kids, I mean, do you sort of feel like, like you're really linking them into this amazing past? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only the kids, but also any adult students. I, I, I do mention the past a lot. Or I'll bring out stories, you know, about people I knew or stories I heard of people, you know, of past musicians. You know, I think it's important especially for the young ones to understand. And you know what? The young ones are, I'm teaching them a lot of the more traditional or some of the older songs, uh, not so much the newer songs, although they're learning that too. But I think it's it's important to to keep these other songs alive because they're beautiful. The messages, uh, the, 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 the poetry, the melodic line, the use of the chords, they're beautiful. Um, my student Joey, who also has a lovely voice, but I always ask her to do a certain song called Nani. Nani means beautiful. And it was written by this teacher who had these young students. And she worked for the Parks and Recreation, so I guess it was a summer program. But, you know, she fell in love with her young students and so on. So she wrote this song, you know, beautiful, Nani. 
And the way Joey sings it is like, oh gosh, we say over here, you know, chicken skin. Chicken skin is like uh, goose pimples. Yeah. Okay. Chickens. Yeah. We say, oh, chick. Whenever I hear her sing, and you know, she's only in the ninth grade. You know, I mean, she just made the ninth grade. You know, and when Malia sings some of her songs, and I, I you know, I, I'm teaching her some of the songs her great grandmother sang. You know, and, and and she has the same range. And then I have another girl in elementary school, and I'm teaching her songs that her great great grandfather wrote, Alvin Isaacs who played with the Royal Hawaiian Serenaders, and he wrote a lot of classic tunes, a lot. So I, I'm sharing these songs with her, and I said, okay, this, these are all your family songs. We're going to learn them. So she is. She's learning them. You know, to keep up the family tradition, yeah, she's the only one in the family playing steel guitar. And yet her, her grand or great-granduncle was on Hawaii Calls, was a famous steel guitarist, Barney Isaacs. I said, yep, you got to keep this going. No matter what, you are the link to the past. Yeah. You're, you're keeping up your rich family heritage. You know, all that music. I mean, a lot of music. That's amazing. I read, you know, I read about, I think there was a movement in Hawaii to make the ukulele the national instrument. Or oh, no, the, the state, state instrument. State instrument. Like we have a state fish. Right, right, right. Uh, 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 I know that Hawaii is a state, not a nation. And uh, well, and, then, and then, some Hawaiians feel that it should be a nation. Well, yeah, okay. So I there, guess I won't, that. I won't weigh into that. There is. I'll that. stay out of that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I read about that you that you know you came forward and and you know suggested that the steel guitar maybe was a better reflector of Hawaiian traditions, or, or, or maybe you know shouldn't be seconded by the ukulele. Yeah, that was a few years ago, a handful of years ago. When I found out about that, I ran down to the state capitol where, where they were having the meeting. At that time, members of a ukulele company were just walking out the door, going to the elevator. And, I, you know, I know them and so on, they're friends. And they said, oh, yeah, they just gave the testimony. And I went, damn, I better run in there. And, and I got there just a little late because, you know, I, I got wind of the meeting so late. I got in there and uh, they were still willing to listen to me. And, you know, um, when he says, okay, you know, we're going to vote on this now. And I said, oh, wait, may I say something? I said, you know, the steel guitar is the only string instrument, modern day string instrument invented here in Hawaii. The ukulele was uh, adopted and adapted in Hawaii from a Portuguese instrument. Um, although the ukulele is well known more than the steel guitar today, but it was a steel guitar that actually lured a lot of people to the islands. And in some cases, it still does. And not only that, a lot of steel guitars, most of them here in Hawaii play Hawaiian music. The ukulele, a lot of, you see it at festivals, you see it in videos. A lot of the locals play non-Hawaiian music. So um, the motion was, maybe we'll ask the students in the schools, I said, wait a minute, they only know the ukulele. They probably don't know the steel guitar. And so um, the chairman says, you know what? Okay, we're going to table it then. Uh, let, let's, you know, um, do a little more research. A lot of people wrote in in favor of the steel guitar and so on. 
Well, the next year came about, I didn't, you know, I hadn't kept up on the schedule at the legislature, but they had another meeting and they did, they made ukulele the state instrument. And it's like, you know, um, okay, well, que sera, sera. But you know what, that, that got me thinking, okay, we're going to do something, still guitar festivals. Steel Guitar Festivals. So uh, I was attending the Maui Steel Guitar Festival. It was called the Henry Allen Steel Guitar Festival at, at the time. And then at one point, a few years later, the hotel approached me and asked me, would you take over the festival? Which I did. And so I renamed it the Maui Steel Guitar Festival. And that same year, I was approached by one of the uh, senators. He says, hey, could you do one in Waikiki? And so I started that one. So I had these two festivals, Maui and Waikiki Steel Guitar Festival, happening. So all of a sudden, I was running two steel guitar festivals. And that's when I started my nonprofit, High Mele, which is the Hawaii Institute for Music Enrichment and Learning Experiences. So it's High Mele that coordinates and operates all of these steel guitar festivals. Today, in 2020, at least this year, we have eight scheduled steel guitar festivals throughout the state. I just had my Hawaii Island Steel Guitar Festival. Three weeks later, we'll have the Kauai Steel Guitar Festival. Three weeks later, we'll have our Hawaiian Steel Guitar Festival on the west side of Oahu. The following month, I'll fly up and um, I'll attend my friend's Steel Guitar Re Renaissance in Yokohama, Japan. And then, a month after that, then I have my Maui Steel Guitar Festival. In June, I have my um, Hawaiian Steel Guitar Festival on the windward side of this island. Then in July, we have our Waikiki Steel Guitar Week from Monday through Saturday. Steel guitar in the heart of Waikiki at the Royal Hawaiian Center. Then in August, we have an all-children Steel Guitar Festival. You have to be school age to, to be featured. So no adults. And, and um, then in December, we'll do the Hawaii Island Steel Guitar Festival again. This year also, I'll be doing a couple of conventions, one in Indiana and one in New York City. And then I'll have my Steel Guitar Symposium in the Bay Area come August, and maybe in October down in LA. Los Angeles. After the ukulele became the state instrument, you know, it, it was like this fire was burning inside of me. I wanted to do whatever I could to bring the steel guitar back to prominence. Because, you know, um, at one time throughout half of the 20th century, the steel guitar was a prominent instrument in the Hawaiian band. And it was so popular that now, at one time, uh, Oahu Pub Publishing in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, actually gave certificates to 200,000 of the steel guitar students, a certificate of completion. 200,000. That's incredible. And so little by little, we're reaching out. Uh, the steel guitar is more visible. We have people playing at home or going to you know, backyard parties and, and playing there. And then we have all these youngsters. We call them keiki. Keiki are youngsters in Hawaiian. 
we have all these keiki who are playing steel guitar and and seeing uh, adults in the audience with their jaws dropped if you can imagine um on the last day at the hawaii island steel guitar festival we played at the morning brunch and um the bar is right across the lawn a uh, very close to the dining area uh close enough and so we're playing on these tall stools at the bar facing the the restaurant and the people are eating in this open air restaurant and 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 they're just loving it it's like wow hawaiian music you know featuring kids and adults i, I mean it it was it was just a jam we call it kani kapila in hawaiian kani kapila you know strike the band and so we're doing this jam session switching musicians switching instruments and so on uh and it was it was beautiful I was just loving that. I mean, I, I played the first half and then I sat down to eat and listening to the others play and it was like, oh, this is so nice. This is Hawaii to me. And that's what many people told me. Many people over the years, oh, that steel guitar. I, 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 I come to the islands to hear the steel guitar. After all, the steel guitar is the signature sound of, of Hawaii, of the islands. The signature sound. And many people relate the steel guitar to Hawaii. As they should. It originated here. I would love to get an idea of some of the older style of songs. You know, what, what kind of that sound was like. Are, are you talking about more of the 20s, 30s? Going into uh, more of the 40s, 50s, and then today. Yeah, well, okay. Well, again, I, I'm doing this on an electric steel guitar. So, you know, in the, in the 20s and 30s, you were on, on acoustics, right? Oh, I tell you what. Uh, oh, no. Okay. So I'll just play basically the style. It won't be the sound um, unless I have a bar that I can use. I wonder. Okay, this is not a bar, but, you know. Okay. This emulates the sound more than my, my, my metal bar. This is actually a nut razor. Okay. This is what I, I was talking about. A nut razor which, which will raise the strings um, on a guitar. Mm. So, you know, you could buy this for a few pennies way back then. Uh, raise the strings on your guitar and with the bar in hand, you could, you know, play those, you could play them Hawaiian tunes. So anyway, okay. So, uh, you, you know, in those days, he probably used a different tuning too. Okay. So, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah, there. Okay. So. No, I can't do it that way. Okay, so. So, so here's an example of what it might have sound, sounded like before.
So that was, you know, more, you know, a lot more picking, right? Yeah. You know? So that's, that's way back then. Then, then you had, you know, um, more Hawaii calls, you know, 40s and 50s. Okay, and then So in this tuning, um, They don't even play this song today. Moment. I'm gonna. Okay. Today, uh, they might play a song. Well, maybe. Okay, if I were to play the same song, I'll try to play it more today's song. Simpler, huh? Again, because probably the band is playing all these riffs and so on on, the, on their ukuleles or guitars, you know. So kind of, kind of different. What what songs were those? It was the same tune. Yeah, it's called uh, Maui Girl. Maui, okay, yeah, Maui it's Girl, very familiar to me. It, it was it was written. I'm not exactly sure, but it was early 1900s. Oh, okay. So the song is oh, close to 120 years old. Yeah, it it works all across. Was that was that an example of the you were talking about like Hawaii calls like swing playing really spoke to swing you? Swing playing or or just a lot more core, you know, cording. Yeah, yeah, fatter chords and, and and so on. Versus single note or or you know bouncing over, you know. Yeah. 
Maybe you want to hear it this way, yeah? You know? Absolutely. I can totally hear it, the difference with, with the nut. I, I hear that old sound, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not really doing it total justice, but... You know, it's you know, there there are differences. You know, you 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 pull out a a, a seventy eight, and then you pull out, you know, um, a, a, a an MP three. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're gonna hear differences with the styles today versus way back. You know, a hundred years ago. But you know, whoever is playing steel guitar should always uh, fit and conform with the style of the music. It doesn't matter if it's you know, the old traditional or the new contemporary. Yeah, it should conform. Um, or, else, or else you're not feeling it. Are there some, like, standards that you're sort of expected to know as a Hawaiian steel guitarist? Standards? Um, well, okay, I'll put it this way. There's a song that people would like to hear, so maybe they expect that you can play it, and it starts like this. You know, um, see if you recognize even this opening line. Yes. Yeah? I mean, sleepwalk. I mean, even my kiddies want to learn sleepwalk. It's such a popular tune uh, by Santa and Johnny, right? Yeah. There's an interesting story behind that song, by the way. So Johnny, uh, you know, he shared the story with me, yeah. So we sat down and we were chatting and I asked him, how do you get the title Sleepwalk? He says, well, you know, um, sometimes, you know, as teenagers, you know, we couldn't sleep at night. So we'd go downstairs and we'd, we'd be jamming. Their father, you know, asked, hey, what are you guys doing? He says, oh, we're fooling around. So dad went out and bought a tape recorder. He says, next time you, you fool around, switch this on. And so they did. And so they developed this tune, this tune, little by little. And then they thought, wow, instead of, okay, it's, you know, the standard progression was one, six, two, or four. Yeah, one, six, let's say one, six, four, five. Well, what they did is he made four a minor. Hmm. That was that was different, mm -hmm. and till today, this song is the most popular steel guitar solo ever, the most popular. Yeah. Oh, and and where'd the title come from? Well, because at night when they couldn't sleep, they would go downstairs. Therefore, they thought, oh, sleep walk. <laughs> yeah. Interesting story about, yeah, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I, I got to meet all these people. Uh, or even through stories, you know, some of these these legends, icons that passed away before I even started playing the steel guitar. But, you know, I'm hearing it secondhand from, or I should say from primary sources. You know, people who actually knew them and played with them. And I used to um, share a ride from Kailua to Waikiki with uh, uh, another musician. We, you know, we played at uh, one of the, the shows in Waikiki. And he was Alfred Apaka's music director and also the arranger and music director for Hawaii Calls. And he was an incredible musician, vocalist. 
for example, we'd be driving towards Waikiki and uh, I would have the Hawaiian radio going on or I would stick in a, a, a cassette. Well, sometimes um, when a song came up, he would start humming an obligato part, just making it up. And I go, my God. Wow. And, and, and yet I hear that on Alfred Apaka albums and also Hawaii Calls, these, these single note obligato parts, you know, that weaves through the melody and the chords. I don't, I don't know what obligato means. Well, obligato is, 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 is a line, well, like I said, it weaves between um, the melody and so on. So it kind of harmonizes at some point, but it's also uh, a sort of like a vocal riff. It would be like the cello line in, a, in, in a, an orchestra, a Hollywood orchestra playing this line down below, or the violins, you know, all of the violins playing this, this one line behind the singer. That's an obligato. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, if somebody was singing or something, he would say, oh, you, yeah, you know, he would chuckle. He says, you know that person? And these stars would come out. <laughs> he says, oh, yeah, you, you, you know, let me tell you about, you know, <laughs> and then go, whoa, some of these things I, I, I better not leak out. They, you know, they're not good stories. <laughs> not for the person. Not if uh, a lot of people um, revere them. But, but you know, I, it's like, oh, yeah, Benny, you're sharing all these stories with me. You know, I, I love it. You know, um, he and the Alfred Apaka group, you know, the Hawaiian Village Serenaders, under Henry J. Kaiser, they traveled a lot. And so they would meet a lot of people, you know, Andy Williams or, or Satchmore or whatever. So Benny met them and, you know, he had his opinions about each one of them. You know, say, wow, this guy was a, he was the nicest guy, you know, and so on. And, well, this guy was so down to earth. And, you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I, I'm hearing it from him. Same thing with Jerry Bird. You know, he told me many stories like with, um, you know, the father of bluegrass. Bill Monroe, mm -hmm. and he was a, from what I understand, kind of honorary, you know, he was a taskmaster and so on. But you know, those guys in, in country land, they used to put pranks on, on each other. So one time Bill Mon Monroe walked up to the mic, he was ready to, you know, start his show. Jerry Bird put out the mic cable. So when Bill started talking, there was nothing and then and then he looked to the side, he saw Jerry with the mic cable, yeah. And he said, damn bird. You know, you know, things like that. Or or they would go up and cut somebody's strings. Oh, God. Right on stage. They they would do that on stage. Yeah. That's with so wire cutting. I've seen oh, Jerry God. do it. I've seen it. He did it to another steel guitarist in Hawaii. That's what they did in, in you know Countryland, in Nashville and so on. So, you, you know, and, and, and so, so you know, all these stories, you know, I, I, I remember and, and or even um, Genoa Calvia, Auntie Genoa, she had many stories too. Of course, I had my own experiences with different entertainers. Gosh, so many. I was wondering if, if maybe you could um, play us through some of uh, uh, maybe... Some some of your favorite players, some of your favorite songwriters, or or people that were influential to you. Anything that you could, you know, show us on the on the steel guitar that would help us get a sense of maybe some of the influence you've had, or some of the history of this of the craft of writing for that instrument. Well, let me let me switch steel guitars. 
Oh, okay. Um, only because this is a different tuning, so I, I won't have to change totally change the tuning on the one I had. Um, so what tunings have we used today? You did some C6, some D9. A, A6. This is a B11th now. This Canapa steel guitar is from Japan, and um, it was given to me back in 1987 by the, um, the owner of the company. Uh, in fact, he gave me a, almost his whole line of steel guitars, you know, just different, you know, from single neck to triple neck to acoustic. And so, you know, I, I, I use that. I, I like to steal guitars. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's a song I remember hearing um, on an album called Evening in the Islands featuring two steel guitars, Barney Isaacs and Eddie Pang. While one played, the other one played riffs or fills. Out of all albums I heard that featured more than one steel guitars playing together, yeah two or more. Th this is probably the finest for because of the blend. Both steel guitars blend very well. Um, the tone of the instruments are very similar. And uh, the choice of songs, oh, I loved it. Here's one song, it's called Hana, you know. Sorry.
So that's one song. Another song. Um... first song was called Paradise Farm. This song is called um, Hula Heaven, which is a recording um, done by Joe Zassi, who is one of my great influences. Uh, I mean, my influences were like, uh, I, I, again, um, the early one was David Feet Rogers and his uncle, Benny Rogers. Then, uh, of course, Jerry Bird. And then um, Joe Zassi from Hawaii Calls. Huge influence. And, you know, I got to play with two members of Hawaii Calls. It, you know, I played at the Halekulani for 23 years. So I, um, it was my trio, and these two guys played with me. They, they were much older than me. They knew a lot of songs. And then that style, Josasi style, fit in with their style because why? They all played together in Hawaii Calls and the Alfred Apaka show. So I, I could play to my heart's delight, you know, all the, you know, the Josasi style. But then when I went with Auntie Genoa, you know, on another night of the same week, I would change to the Benny Rogers style, like a chameleon changing colors. And, and why? Because it's a feel thing. I felt that playing that a certain style with a certain group made a big difference. Huge difference. So, oh, here's another song, I guess. Um, this is one that people ask for. And it goes something like this. It's called Whispering Lullaby. So it's, it's, it's all harmonics on a single string, whispering lullaby. And I like to play this one, um, something from the 20s, yeah. Go to 12th Street Reg. I, I should have asked you this earlier, but you you want to just explain what Hawaii Calls was? Hawaii Calls was a show that was broadcast for about 40 years from pre-war all the way to about 1974. It was a showcase of the talent in the islands. They had top musicians. And every week, every broadcast, weekly broadcast, they would have a different show, different lineup of songs. At one point, there were a lot of stations across the United States that would um, air Hawaii calls. Of course, it probably would be one week late, yeah. So they would have these large, large discs, you know, transcriptions, yeah, that would be sent out all over. And even in Japan, I remember a friend saying uh, as a kid, uh, I, I guess this was in the 50s, he would run home just in time to sit in front of the radio to listen to what he calls. 
Hawaii Calls uh, featured Alfred Apaka. Uh, I mean, the great voices. Haonani uh, Kahalevai, Danny Kinilao, Benny Kalama. I mean, the list goes on and on. Oh, I know one of the singers um, was snatched up by Arthur Godfrey. Beautiful voice. And he says, oh, would you like to go back to New York with me? So she sang on his his show. Yeah, many, many fine, fine players and artists, the top. And then they would come out with this, these songs and sometimes even introduce songs. It became so popular that uh, Hollywood or international actors or artists would come to the show. And so the MC, Wedley Edwards, would introduce them and call them up to the stage and they would say a few words. So it was quite a popular show in its heyday. Um, and, you know, the government, uh, at that time, the territorial government did support it. Why? Because it brought people to Hawaii. Uh, and, and then later on, you know, with the advent of TV, television, and, and so on, you know, the radio started to go down, yeah, downhill. And so, you know, Hawaii Calls kind of lost its audience. Even though they tried to do a TV special, but, yeah, they couldn't keep up. So it finally closed, but but still the music, the recordings are oh, there's so many recordings out there, LPs, and and they're masterpieces. Great singing, great music arrangements by Benny Kalama. Still guitar, oh yeah, lots of still guitar, and they had the best. Joe Zassi, Barney Isaacs, um, they had Jay Kili'i Koa, they had David Kili'i who was the first still guitarist. They also had. Uh, Eddie Pank for a little while, Danny Stewart, um, Joe Castino, Jerry Bird. Yeah, the top still guitarist. I want to ask you, we kind of covered this a little bit, but um, what is, what's the mission of your school and what, what all do you teach? What other instruments do you teach, including still guitar? Kekula Miller was started because I, I could see that other ukulele schools we're not really teaching Hawaiian, they were teaching everything else, along with, you know, using the ukulele as a primary instrument. Maybe they're, they're learning um, some rock and roll song, you know, some song on ukulele that has four chords, rock and roll style chords, you know, one, six, four, five, and that's it. So I said, yeah, I, I want to bring back some of the old songs, some of the songs that talk about the islands, you know, like uh, like being PowerPoints of the past. So, so in my class, the 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 way I have it designed for my ukulele classes is that every six months I produce new songs, and then I teach them about the islands, about the lifestyle, about the culture through the songs, even history through the songs, or I'll even take out a map and say, okay, do you know where such and such a place is? Especially for the young ones, you have no clue. So I can show them. And then I let them interact, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, my grandmother lives out there, you know, you know, things like that. So because very concrete for them. You know, I wanted to learn about the Hawaii they live in. And I don't care if they're, they're from Hawaii or not, because, you know, there, there's a military base here, and I have students whose parents are military. So they can learn about the Hawaii they live in and wherever they move to next, perhaps they'll always remember that or they'll share it with somebody else. Uh, I have still guitar classes as well. 
I teach all the instruments, guitar, upright bass. I mean, I have a girl who was a third grader and uh, when I, um, her sister plays steel guitar. And when I took them to a steel guitar festival, the Maui Steel Guitar Festival years ago, people couldn't believe that uh, when we were in the jam session. So, you know, we we're playing the song and then we changed keys. The third grader changed keys too with us. And she was right on the beat. Amazing. Yeah, and, and so she's become quite a legend, you know, amongst many of, you know, many people, especially if somebody makes a mistake, she looks at them, she glares. <laughs> so he says, so, you know, like they're afraid of her, you know, they, so they said, oh, you don't tell others, don't make a mistake. She'll look at you. <laughs> now she's in the sixth grade. So in, in, anyway, um, so I, 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 I have a lot of ukulele students. I have I have a lot of still guitar students uh, around the world through Skype, and then I have classes. Um, I have three classes: beginning, intermediate, and advanced. And then many private students that come here to to learn the art of the still guitar. And then I have many different levels, from you know beginner all the way to a pretty darn good, you know, able to take the stage that good it seems like uh i think it's such incredible work i mean really just patching young people into a legacy and just letting beautiful music just flourish in the world instead of you know fizzle out in the past i mean i really think that it's important and i also think teaching music is like teaching magic i mean it's it's as close to real magic as there is well you know another thing too is with music you can re work on creativity or release your inner genius you know, that thing about, you know, reading tabs, learning tabs, memorizing tabs, that's fine. But then again, I tell them, close your book. Once you learn it, close your book and feel the song. Don't worry about all the notes on the music. Don't even worry about the rhythm. It's whatever you feel. And, and you know, I see people playing something and, and, and they're, they're putting in their own touch or their own rhythmic pattern in there um and, and and i just smile or 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 they'll go off on the tangent and come back and and that's great because that's working on creativity the right brain um i noticed uh some of those who are retired lawyers engineers um surgeons they they, they have a rough time their left brain is, is, is very well developed. The right brain, however, isn't. And they struggle. But, you know, little by little, they, they, well, they kind of get up there. But it, it's interesting to see the difference. And then you have children who just absorb like sponges. It's a source of satisfaction for me. It really is. So, you know, going out, putting in volunteer work to, to coordinate and operate these steel guitar festivals to, to make it, available to the public, uh, both young and old, you know, it's a source of joy. I mean, you know, I, I come back and I'm like ready to nap for 12 hours, but we're making the steel guitar more visible. We're exposing many people to it. And the great thing is it's free and open to the public. The workshops, the concerts, they're all free. Uh, the, the jam sessions. Now, so, you know, little by little, we're bringing steel guitar back to the island. So the man who wrote to me about uh, 
a steel guitar that I had mentioned that one of my students was playing. He says, I'm interested in that one. So I sent him a link. It's here, check it out. Um, there, it's a great sounding steel guitar for an incredibly low price. I said, yeah, I, I recommend this to others too. You know, there's certain steel guitars, steel guitar brands that I particularly like. And depending on someone's budget, I'll tell them which way to go. You know, I mean, there, there are so many steel guitar manufacturers out there. Really, there's a lot. And there's some that, that I really like uh, because of the tone that comes out of the instrument. Yeah, there's some others that maybe would be better for maybe rock or, or, or some other music, but, but not for Hawaiian. And then same like with the amplifiers, you know, I recommend amplifiers too, if somebody is asking. So I say, you know, this one would be, if you have six strings, this one is an excellent amplifier. It could fit in your suitcase. You could travel around with it and so on. If you want something for an eight string, I would recommend this amp mini amplifier. Uh, and, and, you know, I have a lot of amplifiers too, you know, um, in my garage, I have in my room and in my garage. So, you know, I, I've tried a number of them. Yeah. Even at the festivals, I, or I should say at conventions, I tried a number of different amplifiers. And so, you know, I kind of know what I like and what I don't like for Hawaiian music. You, it seems like you've lived a, uh, an incredible and are living an incredible life. Uh, and uh, uh, that it's, it's for a like, good thing that the steel guitar and you found each other. Yeah, I think it was meant to be because, you know, even when I was in the ninth grade, I had decided that I wanted to become a music teacher. You know, my band instructor was an influence on me, too. And so I did become, you know, I got my degree, you know, um, in music ed and then administration. Um but I taught music all those years and well, still teaching music. It's sort of like my contribution to society, especially for Hawaiian society to teach music. I mean, there's a lot of teachers, you know, teaching language, teaching um, protocol, you know, for Hawaii, teaching hula or, or even teaching slacky or teaching, you know, singing and, and so on. But for me, it's, it's more like ensemble. Solo work and ensemble with the steel guitar, with uh, songs that I grew up with or played with these old timers, these legends, bringing out those songs. Because if if I don't, you know, it, it might die. It might fade away. I mean, we lost so many songs already, I'm sure. You know, so these are songs that, um, that tell a story. Yeah, that tell a story. And, and, and I, I think it, it's good to know you. Who knows, maybe, you know, one of my students might say, that's my family. That's my family's place. Or really, you know. That's amazing. I, I We've hit everything on my list. I mean, I, w I was just curious if, if you would, you know, play a, a song on the way out. Okay, ready? So here's a song called, I Want to Go Back to My Little Grass Shack.
Oh, it's lovely. Okay. Anyway. Wow. Okay, my next student is here. <laughs> no, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I, most sincerely, I think that the work that you do is super important and great. Uh, I really appreciate all the time that you gave us today. Thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Take care then. As we say in Hawaii, aloha. Aloha, mahalo. Our deepest thanks to Alan Akaka and to steel guitar historian John Troutman for making the introduction. Learn about upcoming steel guitar festivals at highmele.org and lessons via Skype at kekulamele.org. Links to all this and more at our website, ephemeral.show. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. How about that? Oh, how pretty can it get? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, what a lovely, lovely song. Alan Akaka.